Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Well, good morning. I am so glad... Uh, that we are gathered once again so we can celebrate and praise the name of Jesus. If you don't know me, my name is John Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the elders here at Christ Church. Um, so typically on Sunday mornings, we're making our way through uh, a book of the Bible. That's the, 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 the way we, the motive in which we run here. Uh, and we are actually in between books right now. Last week, we looked at this idea of loving one another. Uh, Jeremy McCown was here last week, and he uh, walked us through that statement, and his focus was actually John uh, chapter 13, verse 34, which says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, if you guys remember that, that's what we talked about uh, this last week, about how this, this love that Jesus is talking about is to be uh, how we are to be known in Christ. We are to be known by our love for one another. And so if you did not listen or you did not make it to last week, I want to encourage you to go back to listen to that. It was a really uh, great sermon, great word uh, to hear. Uh, and this morning, we're going to kind of continue in that same idea of one another, and we're not going to veer too far off on topic. We're actually going to look at another, uh, uh, another love one another section, and we're not even going to veer from, from uh, the, the New Testament writer. We're going to be in another book uh, by John. So with that, let's go to John's first letter, uh, John, 1 John 4. 7 through 12. I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray. It says this, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, Father, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would know you more fully and truly, that we would see us for who we are more clearly and our need for you more truly. Father, bless this time. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. So uh, John Stott, in his commentary on, 
the epistles of John, these letters of John, tells this story uh, by the fourth century theologian church father, Jerome. Raise your hand if you know who that is. I'm like three of you, all right, way to go. Uh, yeah, so he tells this, this story that Jerome had uh, communicated in, in his writings that when the apostle John was, was very old, very old in age, so much, so old, in fact, that he was too, too weak to walk. And so on Sunday mornings, on, on the Lord's Day, he was carried into service, in, into the meetings with the other Christians. And at the end of the meeting, he was helped to his feet, the, the Apostle John, and he was asked to give an encouragement. Week after week, he, he was asked to stand, and so he was helped to his feet, and he would offer the same thing. The story goes that he would offer the same thing, which was... Uh, little children, let us love one another. And the disciples in these church meetings began to grow pretty tired of the same process. He comes in, at the end of the service, he stands up. Little children, let us love one another. And finally, they, they gathered the courage to ask John why he, he always says the same thing over and over again about love. And he replies, or it's said that he replies, because it is the Lord's command, and if only this is done, it is enough. And I love that, like this, the, you know, this isn't a story in the Bible. We can't know if this actually happened. It's just communicated through, throughout church history. But I, I love this idea of this old apostle still saying the words of, of his Lord Jesus. Little children, let us love one another. And you can see throughout, throughout this book, this, is, this tracks with who John was. This was his, his chief goal was to communicate this fact. And as, you're, as, as we come to these verses this morning, I'm sure you probably can identify with these apostles. Like, John, we, we talked about this last week. Jeremy said it, and he probably said it better and louder than I'm going to say it right now, because that's, that's Jeremy. But uh, in, in truth, the, the original recipients of this letter from John are probably thinking the same thing, right? That this guy is a broken record. He's always talking about love. You see it just uh, in this, this story of John in his old age. You see it throughout this first letter to the church that John wrote. It, he already discussed the importance of love. If you look back in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, it says, Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And then again, he hits the topic of love one another again in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. You guys don't have to turn there, but it's just this, this idea of, of repeatedly bringing up love throughout this. But in 3, he says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so the original recipients of this letter, and, and, and perhaps even us are prone to say at this point, okay, listen, we've got it, we've got it down now, love one another. It's not that complicated. It's a few words, we got it. Let's move on to something else. But you see, John isn't done with love. He's not done with just those two first mentions of it in his letter. He circles back to our text this morning and actually gives one of the, the longest sections explaining what it means to love one another. So the section we're going to read this morning is just part of a longer passage. It goes from verse 4-7 where we picked up this morning all the way through, through chapter 5, uh, verse 7. You see, what we see is John wants to make sure that his readers, that we understand that love is not this 
optional virtue. It's not an upgrade to the Christian package, right? This is not an optional virtue for the Christian. Love is not simply some optional upgrade available on deluxe models. This is a requirement. Like like Jeremy said last week, love is to be the distinguishing mark what defines us as a church in the world, what every Christ follower in the world should be showing. We are to love one another. So much so that in our text this morning, John goes as far to say that uh, if you do not love one another, you do not know God. And so clearly, this love that he is speaking of is something we need to dive into deeply. And so let's get back to the text this morning and see exactly what John is trying to communicate to us about how and why we are to love one another. First of all, we should love one another, it says, because God is love. Look how John begins the text in verse 7 and 8, right? It says, let us love one another because love is from God. And then in verse 8 it says, God is love. So what does this mean that that love is from God and that God is love? In our modern culture, we like to throw around that word a lot. Love is an easily given thing. People love to say, like, like when they describe themselves, right? Like, I love the mountains. I love the beach. Like, that's how people, like, they, they picture themselves in that way. Like, my kids love pizza, right? They'll tell you that. They love pizza or, or uh, hamburgers for dinner or like Chick-fil-A nuggets, a.k.a. the Lord's chicken. Uh, they love that stuff. I tend to say, and I'm guilty of this, I tend to say I love a good cup of coffee. Like I love a good cup of coffee in the morning. I love it. We say we love a certain type of movie or a certain music or some people even think they go as far as to say I, I love this actor. I love this musician. We are quick to throw out the word love. Love from the world's perspective, this idea of it is this sappy, sentimental, um, light jazz kind of love. (laughs) Does that make sense? I wrote that down and I was like, I don't know if that makes sense or I just think that's funny. But in my mind, like this idea of just a like this light jazz kind of, it's sappy, it's sentimental, it is a purely emotional experience when the world talks about love. But this is not the kind of love that John is talking about here. No, genuine biblical love is something that is altogether different. This is not the love that John is talking about here. So what is this genuine biblical love? Now, I'm going to rapid-fire some Bible verses at you just so we can get the scope of it, and they're going to be on the screen behind me. So what is love in a genuine biblical sense? You have John 3.16, right, the one everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or the verse we read last week, right? A new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another just as I have loved you. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, and in verse 25, it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And then in 25, a reminder to husbands, Husbands, love your wives 
In what way has Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? And then you get to verses 9 and 10 where we're at this morning where it says, in this is love that God, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So when you look at these verses, you see the overarching thing. Biblical love is not this emotional, sappy, sentimental feeling. Biblical love is self-sacrificing love one that is deeply caring and committed to showing itself in the seeking of the highest good for those who are loved. Let me say that again. Biblical love is self-sacrificing love, a love that is deeply caring, a deeply caring commitment of showing itself in seeking the highest good for those who are loved. And so John says the source Right When we get back to the text, the source of true biblical love is God. Love is from God, and what is more, God is love, he says. It is in his very nature. Genuine love comes from him alone. And now, this is, of course, not to say that you, you cannot see uh, love demonstrated by those who do not know God. You could argue that unbelieving parents often have a sacrificial love for their children or uh, their spouses, or unbelieving people in, in uh, military positions and soldiers may lay down their life for their country or their family or their friends, and so you have this, this idea that there is some sacrificial nature to it. Yet those loving deeds do not stem from the love of God, but rather just out of the common grace as God's creation. And even when that love is caring and, and sacrificial, it can never be genuine biblical love as, as we looked at because it is not seeking the highest good of the ones who are loved, which is not seeking that they would know and love God truly, that they would come to a saving faith and new life in Christ Jesus. And so understand this, brothers and sisters, the, the genuine biblical love doesn't originate from within the person. And within a person, it comes from God and God alone. He is the true source of self-sacrificial love because the love of God is self-originating. That is to say that it does not come out of something outside of God, but it is part of his divine nature of who he is. And for, for sinful, fallen people, it is something outside of ourselves that motivates us to love another person. However altruistic it may seem to us, maybe it's, it's pride or ego. Maybe it's this need to fill up what's lacking in someone else. Maybe it's this desire 
to find this thing, whatever it is that we cast our love upon, we find it desirable or we find it lovely and so we want to give it love. Uh, when, when John wrote this, he actually, uh, the, the Greek sentiment at the time among the philosophers was this idea that the highest form of love was to love that which was worthy of love, right? And, and it's this, this thing, what in our sinful nature, we are going to find a reason outside of ourselves to, to love. Maybe we find it valuable. Maybe we want to hold it for our, our own gain. We do not love it because of who we are. Rather, we love it because we find it to have use or beauty or value or need in a thing that we are, in our sinfulness, choose to love. So to say that more plainly, in our fallen nature, we will not love that which is unlovely. In sinfulness, we will never love that which is unlovely. But that is not, not true of God. In the text this morning, it says God is love. God's love is not dependent on how lovely or worthy the creature's and creations are that he chose to love, but rather he loves because he is love. And so since his nature is love, right, God is love, and he is the only source of genuine love because love comes from God. So if his nature is love, the text says that we should love one another. Right, that's how it begins. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Why? He goes on and says, because we are born of God. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you claim to be born again, that's the phrase we like to use, if you claim to be in Christ, born of God, then you should love because just like children by nature take on the characteristics and the mannerisms of their parent, we who are in Christ are God's children and are to imitate him, right? Paul says in Ephesians 5.1 that you who are in Christ, we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. If we have been born of God, then we will grow in love because we know him. But he also warns us of the opposite, right? He says that if we do not know him, we will not truly love but we are to love because we are his children. Part of the reason John wrote this letter was that there were these, these false teachers leading people astray, claiming to know uh, God in secret, in deeper sense than what, what uh, the Gospels were saying. But here John is saying that they, they, they don't know God at all. And that's evident because they do not love. He says that they are not born of God at all because they do not practice biblical love. Their teachings and, and their behaviors are rooted in themselves and not in Christ. As Jeremy posed last week the question, right, how are you known? 
That's how he opened last week. He said, how are you known? How do you want to be known? And listen, as a, as a loving son or daughter of God who, who is imitating the love, are, are we imitating the love of the Father to those around us? Is that how we are known? As children imitating the love of the Father? Or are you known by something else? And so this first point, he, he says, because God is love, and if we are his true children, and love is his true nature, then we must love one another. So the second thing we can notice this morning is that God showed his love for us in this by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So look at verse 9 and 10. And notice two things, right? It says that God's love is made manifest, meaning made seen, made visible to us, uh, in, in us, so that we might live through him. And God's genuine love is on display, not in the fact that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for our sins. So let's unpack those a little bit, right? Those two, two situations that are happening. God's love was made manifest or made seen in the sending of, and look how it says it in verse nine, right? In the sending and the giving of the life of his only son. The, uh, the more um, King James version, right? You probably heard this word of begotten, only son. His love was seen and displayed in the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the uniqueness and the perfection of God's only son was traded for the rebels who were dead in their trespasses and sins in which they daily walked. And his love was seen in the exchange of the righteous for the unrighteous to display his great and genuine love for us, for his glory, because he loved the unlovely. And we, it says, are to live through him. Live through him. Brothers and sisters, if you know that Christ came, and not so a sin, you know that Christ came, not so a sinful person could be less sinful, not so a selfish person might become less selfish or that you would suddenly feel the, the, the urge to volunteer for everything because now you, you just feel really good about yourself. He didn't come so that drug addicts would put down needles. His matter of coming was uh, God imparting new life to those who were dead in sin. The new life was manifest, manifest itself in our loving behavior. New life manifests itself in our loving behavior. People who are born of God, people who have risen from death to life. And so he says, in this is love, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And so this life is not to be self-absorbed, but one of love, displaying the love of God that we have received. 
So the question is, are you trusting the Lord in such a way that you are displaying the love that you have received in the life that you have in him? And so secondly, it says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is seen, right, not in our loving of God, but God loving us and sending his son. And it uses the word, and I've said it three times, and you probably want to say bless you after each time, but it uses this word propitiation, right? That's a fun word. It sounds like a word that was like made up by accident, like somebody said a word wrong and nobody bothered to correct them a long time ago and they just rolled with it. But it is, a, it is an odd word, but it has a wonderful meaning. The, the, the word means uh, a propitiation is to satisfy God's justice and wrath towards sin. That which satisfies God's justice and wrath towards sin. It means that his love for us was not merely to brush aside our sin and say, that's nah, okay, we'll just not talk about it. His holiness and justice would have not allowed a compromise if he had just looked the other way in, of, uh, of sin. Instead, it is saying that God loved us and the love of God chose us and chose to send his own son, his only son, who bore in our place the penalty of our sins. And remember, this love is, is self-originating. It didn't come from anywhere but his own nature. And he didn't love us because he saw some glimmer of hope in us, right? He didn't love us because he, we were like a long shot bet. Like there's a chance they could improve and take an upswing and they'd be all right. But it says, as Paul says in Romans, right, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinning, he died for us. Christ died for us. John is, is reminding his readers that this is love. Not that our love for him is anything, but it is God's love for us. Sending his son to these undeserving wretches, to you and I, so that his love and glory and power might be displayed. So in light of all this, right, we get back to verses 11 and 12. And this is where we're going to land the plane. He says in 11 and 12, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's twice now, right? He said it in 7 and now he said it again in 11. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. That's literally, beloved is literally you who are loved. He is reminding us, brothers and sisters, that we are already loved. That he loves us. That we are loved. In the Greek, it's almost poetic. It says, agape toai agapomen. It's like all the Greek I know, but I loved the way that sounded. It's just this idea of those who are loved love each other. In light of 
all of this, of who Christ is and what he did that was undeserved, that you could not do yourself. And so he says, beloved, loved ones, you who are loved, if you have been so loved by God, you ought to love one another. And that's the way verse 11 says it right. You ought to love one another. It's almost this idea of obligation, right? Obligatory in its structure. The obligation is that love is, is not to be an emotional response, right? That's the, the worldly understanding of, of love. This is not an emotional response. We are to love because he loved us. And in the same manner in which he loved us. He, he reminds us here that love is not a feeling, but rather an action based on commitment. We must love others. And to do anything else is disobedient to God. Now this doesn't mean that love is easy. Loving the unlovable was modeled for us and was set as a model by Christ Jesus. We are to love the unlovable. If everyone were easy to love, we wouldn't need this powerful example of God's love for us or this reminder or command in Scripture over and over again to love one another. You see, the world loves those that love them, and that's easy. But Jesus' command is for us to love our enemies as ourselves. That's what he says in Matthew 5. And so, brothers and sisters, are, are you loving one another in the same manner in which you have been loved? Beloved, are you loving one another? If you flip back over to 1 John 3, I believe it's up there, yeah. He drives it home in this way for this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then he elaborates and says, but if anyone has the world's good and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him. And he says this, little children, right, there's that, that old apostle coming out again. Little children, let us love, not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That last line, right, hits the hardest. It's easy to talk of laying down your life. In a world especially where that seems pretty unlikely. There is a, a, not a high probability that you will be asked to lay down your actual life in that situation. But he elaborates, are you loving in deed and in truth? Are you willing to give of the good of the world for the brother in need? Are you willing to model the sacrifice which Christ has modeled for us? Are you willing to love 
in a selfless, self-sacrificing way. That's the call, right? That's the model and what we are called to. So to love one another is to love with which the love we have received, which is one that lays down its life for the unlovely. So are you willing to love in a self-sacrificing way? Now that may mean doing what's uncomfortable, doing what we don't like, making ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of our Lord. And then he ends, and the last thing I'm gonna close, I promise. Uh, Last thing in verse 12. There's some confusion about what this means, right? He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John Stott in his commentary explains it this way and it's better than I could, so we're gonna let him sum it up. But um, John Stott explaining why the Apostle John brings up this point that no one has seen God. Writing that the unseen God who was once revealed in his son is now revealed in his people if and when they love one another. God's love is seen in their love because their love is just his love imparted to them by the Holy Spirit. The words do not mean that when we begin to love, God comes to dwell in us. This is not what this is saying, but it is the reverse. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence in our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, as we close, this is the thought I want to leave you with, is this idea, can others see the unseen God who abides in you by the way you love? Can others see the unseen God who abides in you by the way you love? Let's pray. Gracious Father, let us not love in empty talk and meaningless words, but let us love indeed and in truth let us reflect the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ and the love with which you have loved us to each other and to the world around us father as we think about how we are to be known let's not settle for anything less than being known by our love for one another. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.